With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. All right, ladies and gentlemen, all right, welcome to the program. Great to have you with us here on Monday, TNT, today's news talk. I'm going to be joined in the first hour by a few special guests. Sam Husseini, a journalist based in Washington, D.C., is going to join us uh, in hour number one. We're going to talk about a number of key issues. Looking forward to getting his take on these things. And also Basil Valentine uh, at the end of the segment in the first hour will be joined by Basil for reactions and hot takes on the breaking news and analysis. And in the second hour, very pleased to welcome back to the program Mark Crispin Miller, Professor Mark Crispin Miller. New York University. What an amazing, uh, amazing teacher on the field of propaganda studies, but also on elections. Mark's a published author, multiple books on the topic, election fraud, election interference, real election interference in 2024. We don't need to go looking to Russia or these sort of far-flung conspiracy theories, official official tales uh, from the establishment about election interference, foreign interference. No, there's plenty of domestic election interference. Plenty. We'll go through some of these with Mark Crispin Miller. He is a fountain of knowledge on this topic. That's in the second hour. You definitely don't want to miss that. So we will touch on the 2024 election uh, in multiple segments here. And on that topic, I want to sort of bring up uh, the breaking news over the weekend after the debacle in Iowa, Ron DeSantis, who a lot of people believed would be the, I don't know, the heir apparent to the Republican throne. Who was thinking that? Well, a lot of super rich donors were thinking that about nine months ago when they managed to plow, I don't know, somewhere circa $200 million plus dollars into never back down the Ron DeSantis super PAC. And we knew uh, from the beginning that he was going to back down and probably back down early. Uh, I am uh, surprised that they didn't shut the campaign down earlier, uh, but they did the smart thing when he was polling at 5% in New Hampshire uh, this past uh, weekend uh, on Friday when those numbers started coming in, that he would be a distant third uh, behind Nikki Haley even. Uh, We knew that it was a good time to pull the plug on never back down. So he did back down in the end, but not before burning through 200 plus million dollars. What could have been done with that money? How many people could have been fed? How many homeless people in the state (laughs) in America uh, could have been fed and given free medical care or who knows what? But anyway, all that money goes into the pockets of advertising, uh, production companies, ad agencies, political consultants, and the worst, paid influencers. Paid influencers, surrogates for Ron DeSantis on X Twitter. There are many of them. These people were frothing at the mouth uh, to get on that gravy train. And they did, they rode it, uh, and they became sort of never Trumpers and uh, you know, elevating Ron DeSantis as if he had a chance. He never had a chance. Never had a chance for Republican leadership. In fact, this is going to be potentially devastating for his political career. This is why he endorsed Donald Trump when he was leaving out the exit door. And he seemed brimming with with glee and joy. He was one of the most you know joyful concession speeches we've ever seen. Uh, 
Uh, it was incredible. So he he seemed relieved. Um, so that, what does that tell you? That tells you that was a total artificial candidate. Uh, another AstroTurf job, thanks to the Bush family, Jeb Bush, the uh, big uh, Southern billionaire class, the military industrial complex. That's who was backing Ron DeSantis. And it's uh, there's a few sort of poignant observations been made by some canny uh, political observers. One of them, uh, I was just on an open space on Twitter this morning, M. Gadston, it's a great account you want to be following on X uh, Twitter. He had an open space today, and he, he put it pretty clearly. Gadston said, this is not a COVID election. And if you look at who got behind the Ron DeSantis campaign, all these COVID warriors, self-styled freedom movement types, and they, they, they've elevated the mythology that Ron DeSantis was this great anti-lockdown candidate and that somehow that's going to play uh, on the ballot in November. It's not going to play on the ballot. It's not even going to be a factor. I'll tell you what's going to be a factor relating to COVID in a minute, but as Gadsden said uh, on, on this Twitter space this morning, this is a gas, this is a gas and groceries election, not a COVID election. Nobody cares about Fauci. It's not going to factor in at all. Okay, unfortunately, uh, people are past it, and most people want to be past it. So that's really not going to factor in. But a lot of these sort of paid influencers. Uh, believed that they had developed some kind of a platform during the COVID farrago, you know, challenging the 82-year-old midget in the white medical coat, i.e. Fauci, the Mel Brooks uh, doppelganger there. Like, yeah, that's not really a challenge. Uh, anybody can challenge the little man in the white coat. Um, are you willing to go up against the behemoth that is the federal government? And there you can see who the true conservatives are. Uh, anyway, so this is interesting. So they, the, the money that's corrupted the American political system, Michael Bloomberg did it in 2020, jumped in the race, didn't do much, but managed to create enough of a mathematical dent in the Bernie Sanders campaign on the Democrat side, which was flailing at the time. And that helped to sort of somewhat uh, jar loose enough support for Joe Biden uh, going into Super Tuesday and the DNC closed ranks at that point. Biden was their man, another black uh, presidential candidate for the Democrats because Biden himself said, if you don't vote for Biden, you ain't black. Can you imagine being that condescending and still making it through to your party's nomination from a party that prizes uh, uh, sensitivity towards minorities, diversity, equity, and inclusion. To have the old curmudgeon say something like that is just incredible, but that tells you how corrupt uh, the political system is. But anyway, Mitt Romney could write out a check for Evan McMullen uh, to be a disruptor, an independent candidate in Utah primary, uh, try to parlay some votes away from Trump, in order to help the Democrats there, that where you have billionaires, they'll be writing out checks for these influence operations to try to de dethrone and unseat Donald Trump as either the Republican nominee or in the general election. It's still on, folks. Everything that was on in 2020 is on again. The only difference is, and in some ways it's much worse, because a lot of the corrupt practices of election interference have been formalized uh, in the 20, 
2024 election, i.e. big tech censorship uh, and so forth. So whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, do you really want big tech in the Silicon Valley determining, you know, who is going to be getting uh, in your algorithms, your feeds on Twitter, on Facebook, Google. We'll talk about the, the nuts and bolts of the numbers on this with Mark Crispin Miller, who himself is an election uh, fraud expert, He's written multiple books on the topic. But we'll talk about that because the, the, the data is stunning on that, how much influence Google actually can have if you can game the system. And again, it doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican because wh whatever the prevailing power is at the time, they will use these tools. So while the Democrats might be in the ascendancy uh, in, in 2020, maybe 2024, that might not be the case in the future, but those tools like big tech censorship, the suppression of news information, the purging of accounts will affect both sides of the political aisle because it's not a left and a right issue. It's a top and a bottom issue. When you zoom out and you look at it more broadly, that's exactly what it is. So both, peop both people on all sides of the political spectrum, especially in a country like America, which is hyper-partisan right now. You need to look at these corrupt uh, situations, these things that create these uh, anomalies, and you need to understand that these are not beneficial to free and fair elections, that these will be used by whoever is in power in order to manipulate public opinion and ultimately manipulate election results. There's just too many variables now, too many factors. This It's a high-stakes game of power. We have fascistic elements that have crept in at the highest levels. It's undeniable, and so everybody should be concerned about this going into this election season. We'll talk about some of these issues as well with our next guest, Sam Husseini. We'll also talk about the prospects to impeach Joe Biden over the war on Yemen. That's a thing, as well as the International Courts of Justice. Where is the South African uh, case? Where is the ICJ interim decision, emergency decision coming? Let's talk to Sam Husseini about that. All this and more on the other side. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Stay right there. TNT's Darren Denslow. Yeah, I'm talking about the illness. Actually, that has done, has been doing the rounds. Not have we only seen a, uh, a mass influx of people waving their COVID tests online. Look, I got a red line. It's like, oh my God, people are testing. Or people, you know, trying to encourage others to wear their masks. Um, but there has been a talk of a dry cough. There have been doctors coming out saying we've seen loads of cases of that. Uh, have you been suffering from, you know, a bit of cough and flu or cold or COVID? Well, Darren, I, COVID. I, I just I just did my eighth test. Oh, and okay. um, I, I'm just going to keep doing it until I get lines and lines. Why? Well, because work's coming back up, isn't it? Digging deeper with D.D. Denslow on today's News Talk. TNT. Take us back in time. And who was Mike Flynn? He was the national security advisor to the president. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming president of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion. 
to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's going to protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. At this moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism or you're talking about communism, socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization and brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat, people will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com Ladies and gentlemen, today's news talk. News and information. TNT Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to TNT. Today's news talk. Patrick Henningsen, your host here. We're still in hour number one of this live broadcast. Appreciate you guys in the TNT chat community. We had some incredible numbers in there. Looks like the numbers are growing today as well. Well over 130 people last time. So looks like a very healthy crowd in there. That's where we want to be during the live broadcast in our chat community. Meet some new people, share information, links. Uh, mems uh, chatter banter it's all happening in there that's where you want to be little red bubble bottom right hand corner if you go to tntradio.live you'll be able to log in and stay logged in multiple sessions so it's very convenient great system they got at tnt for our listener and viewer community i want to welcome on to the program right now uh, a journalist based in washington dc sam husseini joining us on the line right now sam there's a lot to cover here firstly i just want to get your uh feelings and thoughts, observations on the status of the International Courts of Justice, the case lodged by South Africa, the interim decision everybody's waiting for. Uh, just let me give your get your thoughts on that and also uh, any more commentary on this issue. Go ahead, Sam. Sure. Well, so far we've uh, seen a lot of countries speak up on behalf of the South African um, uh, application to the ICJ um, and the ICJ presumably within the next week or two, will issue provisional measures, um, possibly uh, including a cease and desist order for Israel to stop its uh, slaughter in Gaza. Um, uh, you have seen a couple of countries say that they'll submit declarations of uh, intervention, um, including uh, Colombia and I believe uh, Namibia, which attacked uh, uh, 
Germany, which has indicated that it's going to issue a declaration of intervention on behalf of Israel. So that that's that's still the basic lay of the land um, uh, with that. Uh, but you you see accumulated evidence of um, uh, genocidal intent by Israel day by day. They just you know they bombed um, uh, the records office in Gaza. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now why are they doing that? We're we're you know we're Hamas uh, fighters uh, using paper shields. Uh, you know, uh, uh, no, no, it just shows further evidence that Israel is out to destroy Palestinian society. The Israeli government is not after the security of uh, the uh, Israeli people. It's after an onslaught, a genocidal onslaught in order to uh, take the resources for the Pal- from the Palestinians. Um, uh, that, on, on that point, on that point, Sam, we've also seen the destruction of multiple universities and university campuses in Gaza. And you're talking about all the PhD records, the faculty record. I mean, there's a whole institutions that have taken decades to build up and think of all the students, the archives, the libraries and all of this. It's all been destroyed, um, right. as well as you said, the administrative and the healthcare. The Gaza Health Ministry, uh, a lot of those archives, administrative archives, in a way they're destroying the evidence of genocide through the genocide. What your thoughts on on this? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, th- th- they're attempting to liquidate Palestinian society. And as, as you correctly point out, that's well put, um, uh, including the records of the people who have lived there. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, they, they, they destroyed graveyards the other, uh, about a week or two ago. So again, that, that is a way of eradicating the evidence of the population being there. Uh, and the, and therefore, as you say, the evidence, uh, they're attempting to, uh, eradicate any, you know, any evidence or reminders of, um, of the people being there and therefore the the record of the genocide that they are undertaking. And uh, speaking to a couple of uh, British lawyers uh, recently, they seem to have been, I don't know, have little bird has been whispering. They expect that the, uh, the ICJ will come with a recommendation of a ceasefire at some point uh, in the next few weeks. I don't know if you've heard similar noises or rumors on this what what's your feeling on that is that how certain or or not is that i don't think that it's certain i mean certainly on the basis of the law that's i think quite clearly what should happen um uh but you know the other analysis is it's a you know countries acting in their self-interest and we're not sure how uh, lots of the judges would come down uh, viewed through that lens. I did write a letter to the ICJ pointing out a couple of things to them. Um, very briefly, I pointed out that uh, Netanyahu, the day after oral arguments were finished, basically gave a speech saying, no one's going to stop us, not Iran, not the Axis of Terror, not The Hague, just outright, outright brazenly showing his, you know, uh, disdain for the law and for the court. Um, And uh, I also pointed out that Israel went to pains to uh, pretend that there was no dispute between them and South Africa. Well, there was an article in the Israeli press 
that talked about Israel withdrawing their ambassador from South Africa after South Africa said that Israel's assault was genocidal. So now how does Israel pretend that it had no knowledge of a dispute when it withdrew its ambassador from South Africa? Um, you know, the, the, the story is just so absurd on its face. Um, and uh, finally, um, uh, I, I talk about the Hannibal Directive because Israel continuously claims that, oh, it cares so much for its citizens. Uh, but here it is killing its own uh, citizens and now not just soldiers, uh, but c civilians as well, possibly the civilians of other countries as well. And that just shows the sheer drive, uh, the ferocity with which Israel is intent on um, oppressing and killing and terrorizing the Palestinian population, that they are even willing to kill their own people rather than give uh, any Palestinian group uh, some Israeli captives that they would then have to release some Palestinian captives in order to get um, the, 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 the sheer genocidal contempt for the Palestinians for the Palestinians is so deep that they don't want that to happen and they'd rather kill their own people. Yeah, the, the, the evidence on this and, and how this is being handled and the, the total distortion that's taking place um, politically by the, by the United States, by Israel and their allies, just becoming more evident uh, with each passing week. And I, I only see, Sam, I, I only see a blowback building on this, a backlash building. You've already seen the comments by Joseph Burrell, some of the EU officials on this, that they're, they're sort of now making noises about in the future, Israel could be held accountable uh, for this or that. And you, you, so you can kind of see Europe was very slow. Um, they were cowering in the wake of October 7th, but now there's been some time. Now this Hague uh, process has begun. You're starting to see a change of tune a little bit in Europe. I don't know if you've if you've uh, recognized this yet, but go, um, go ahead if you have any comment. I on that. picked up a little bit on that. You know, uh, I, I think that there just needs to be an enormous amount of pressure on these EU officials that they pretend to care about international law and so on, and 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 here they are, um, and there needs to be a serious reassertion. For example, even. Um, Belgium has put out some decent statements, but they haven't issued a declaration uh, of intervention. And I went back into the history of it. You know, Belgium used to have a universal jurisdiction law that people were using to go after Israeli officials uh, and potentially U.S. officials. And then Rumsfeld in 2003 said, if you don't get rid of that law, we're moving NATO headquarters um, out, of, out, of, uh, out of Brussels. And they folded, and they immediately changed the law. Um, so that that that's you know I think that that that's sort of in in a pithy summary uh, summarizes where 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 Europe is. Is it just going to you know dance whenever the U.S. and Israel tell it to dance? Belgium should reinstate their universal jurisdiction law. It should be used to go after Israeli and U.S. officials. Other European countries should do that. Other countries should do that. Brazil should do that. Uh, a whole host of countries have to change their actual policies. They can't just be hemming and hawing you. You make a good point here, Sam, because the, these laws, these processes were on the books. 
and many have been taken off the books. And one of the things that's been taking them off the books, as you said, is Israel-related or i.e. U.S. pressure being placed on. I mean, uh, Zippy Lipney, the uh, Likudite, you know, very vociferous, warmongering Israeli official, she had a warrant out for her arrest in the U.K., uh, which was lodged after a case was brought to a judge by a Palestinian solidarity organization in the U.K. I think this was in 2009. But lo and behold, Keir Starmer, who was head of the Crown, Crown Prosecution Services had that changed to give any Israeli special status. If they're on a political mission, then they're mm -hmm. exempt from that arrest warrant. So they, Israel changed, the, they got them to change the laws on the books in the mm -hmm. UK. So you can't do that anymore. But at that mm -hmm. time, for a year there, between 2009 and 2010, that so that she couldn't come to the UK, that changed. So that that's that shows you the power of the 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 political machine there, right? Yeah, and and it shows you how the, how the law becomes meaningless. You know, if you, if you keep making special provisions uh, for uh, you know politically connected people that you're allied with that are connected to the larger empire and Israel's granted special status, then the, then the law is a farce and this whole thing is a joke. Um, and that, that, that's not a, a road to a meaningful future. And on the issue of, of Yemen, because this is just becoming a major, major geopolitical situation for the U.S., it is an extraordinary situation, Sam. You know, one of the poorest countries in the Middle East um, is basically taking on the U.S. and its allies uh, when its wealthy Gulf Arabs aren't. In fact, uh, Saudi Arabia seems to be moving against Yemen on this. And is, is there, and you've, you've brought this point up as well, is there a path to potential impeachment for the U.S. president over this issue of Yemen. Your thoughts right. on this? Yeah, you know, like uh, uh, in early December, I wrote a piece, one of my series of pieces, urging countries to invoke the Genocide Convention. I wrote a piece saying they call it genocide, but don't invoke the convention. And I went through all of the statements from all these countries saying Israel's committing genocide, Israel's committing genocide. And none of them were at that point. South Africa hadn't acted yet. Um, invoking the Genocide Convention. So I wrote a similar piece saying all of these um, people in Congress, both Democrats and Republicans, you know, from Ro Khanna to uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, Democrats and Republicans, both saying what Trump is doing is unconstitutional. He can't bomb Yemen without congressional authorization. Um, but they won't talk about the um, constitutional remedy for that, which is impeachment. Uh, quite the contrary, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, quite the contrary to Ro Khanna, uh, uh, hastened to add when he was interviewed on CNN about what he called Clinton, uh, uh, what he called uh, Biden's uh, uh, unconstitutional action, saying uh, that it was uh, that he he was uh, a, a firm supporter of Biden. Uh, so Biden's shredding the Constitution, but I'm here to support him. Um, and no, uh, you know, the, the U.S. is fond of saying it is a nation of laws, not of men. And therefore, these Congress people should have the courage of their convictions and impeach Biden for his unconstitutional bombing of Yemen. Um, you know, it's a simple thing. You're supposed to do your job. The core job of any congressperson is to preserve and protect the Constitution of the United States, 
Constitution says the president should be impeached uh, for grave breaches of the Constitution. They're saying that he, you know, has seriously breached the Constitution on a more pivot, what more pivotal matter than war and peace. And yet, so far, they have refused to act, and that that should be a pressure point in terms of domestic action in the United States towards these Congress people who are pretending to do the right thing. Well, especially, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to call out the uh, the Republicans on this. The Freedom Caucus, for instance, they're all staunch constitutionalists. At least that's what they say. Here's an open goal, and they all oppose Joe Biden, and they want to get rid of Biden. And they'll go to any lengths to get rid of Biden. Here's a nice, easy, open goal. You just Correct. have to do a little tap, and there you go. And that really speaks, Sammy. Doesn't this speak to the Uniparty? Uh, aspect, the bipartisan consensus for uh, aggressive foreign policy and overseas wars. I mean, this this will be just the easiest opportunity to put the president on his back heels in an election year. But right. well, why don't they do it? Yeah, because because it seems that they are more fond of, you know, going after his personal scandals, which may be true enough, and what, that they've talked that he should be impeached for <clears throat> those reasons. And there may well be a case there. But this is a far more important case. And so, you know, th th then it becomes a matter of do they do, are they more subservient to the Uniparty, to to the empire than they are hungry to expose Joe Biden? And if that's the case, then it really shows how subservient they actually are in spite of whatever pretenses they might have of their independence and of their, their, their incredible fidelity to the law and to the constitution, but they're not willing to push the button on this and say Joe Biden should be impeached for grave breaches against the constitution for waging an unconstitutional war. Let's play devil's advocate for a moment, Sam. So sure. if the if you got your talking points memo from the Israeli lobby, if you're a congressman or a senator, you got a line in with IPAC or whoever, what would the Israeli embassy's position be on impeaching Joe Biden over Yemen. Oh yeah, well, obviously against um, because um, you know ultimately the U.S. is uh, you know is striking Yemen because the Houthis are going after Israeli ships uh, with the demand that Israel stop its slaughter in Gaza. So you know the underlying issue here uh, uh, quite strongly seems it seems would have appear to be, uh, I'm sure there are other issues, but the underlying major issue is the Israeli slaughter of Gaza. So obviously, APAC would be on the other side of that. And that could well be the determining factor. I mean, you did have, I remember during Clinton's bombing of Yugoslavia, it was somewhat of a different time, obviously, but you did have some Republicans uh, at that time raise murmurs of impeaching Bill Clinton because he didn't have authorization for that bombing. Uh, he attempted to get it and he failed. It was a tie vote, incredible tie vote, which does not constitute affirmative consent. Um, so you you had uh, that um, uh, you had that dynamic uh, there, and you had some murmurings among Republicans. But here you have nothing so far, absolutely nothing. No congressperson has had the, the, the fidelity to the Constitution of the guts to say, "Hold on, this is wrong. He has to be impeached for this." That's a great comparison historically, uh, Sam, the, the Yugoslavian and the Clinton administration. Again, Republicans opting for personal scandal, 
they were all in on Lewinsky right. and everything else. I will add, though, which is, uh, I think it was uh, Daniel Halper's book, uh, Clinton, Inc., which uh, recounted that time, around that time, that Benjamin Netanyahu was blackmailing the Clinton administration over the Monica Lewinsky ta texts, or sexts, as they were called. Um, so interesting. The, these are parts of history that we don't normally get privy to at the time, but we find out later uh, in books, in this case, over a decade later. But uh, putting those things together, we're in a sort of similar political position uh, so, so many decades later, Sam. So things, uh, as much as things change, they stay the same. Um, yeah, your final thoughts on, on where you think this Yemen situation is. It is hugely dangerous. And doesn't this also have an opportunity for those who are interested in drawing the United States into a confrontation with Iran? Because that seems to be a big priority for certain people. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you know, oh, just on the face of it, Netanyahu has seemed to want the U.S. to be at war with Iran for a very, very long time. So you could certainly see this as part of that design, uh, either you know escalating through the um, uh, through Yemen or uh, through uh, Lebanon with Hezbollah. Uh, but you've also seen, of course, uh, attacks on all sides, virtually um, in Iraq and Syria and even Pakistan. Um, so um, you know, I'm. It could well be a road to escalation, but it could also be sort of a normalization of the slaughter in Gaza. That 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 is, you know, it could be threatening escalation, but not going to a full larger war. And somehow we're all supposed to be relieved uh, that oh, okay, it's just Israel slaughtering Palestinians in Gaza, and somehow that's acceptable and that can continue. So that there could be an, an expectations management aspect to this by the U.S. and Israeli establishment. I think so. I think so. We have to look at it, definitely look at it and through that lens. And certainly that's exactly what certain, uh, I would say, extremist members of the, definitely on the Republican side, we have the Lindsey Grahams of the world and others uh, who are gagging for an opportunity to see that confrontation take place. The ghost of John McCain still looms large uh, in Washington. We've got a couple of minutes left, Sam. I want to get your take on the 2024 election. What are some of yeah. the emerging issues that you're looking at? Things of uh, concern, potentially things that we can expand on in the future. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, I view both, uh, just to put it succinctly and bluntly, I view both Biden and Trump as dead ends. Uh, Trump pretends to be against the establishment, but he, uh, I liken him to being the opposable thumb of the establishment. He seems to be against it, but he helps it grab more. If you look at the policies that he enacted in his first term, a lot of them were awful um, and helped set up the current situation. Um, so, um, and you see these other, uh, candidates, whether it's RFK, who's even more pro-Israel than Biden or Trump. Um, and, uh, you see these, uh, very, you know, uh, Jill Stein of the Green Party and Cornell West running a sort of independent campaign, although it's not clear to me that he's going to be on the ballot anywhere. Um, so... You know, uh, and Jill Stein, of course, got, what, 1% last time or something like that. I think that there's a huge opening. Um, 
and I hope to be writing about this, there's a huge opening for a genuine anti-establishment candidate that gets all of the anti-establishment issues from COVID to perpetual war to Gaza war and civil liberties and corporate power and the whole gamut. Um, I always think of somebody like uh, Colleen Rowley, who the 9-11 whistleblower is an extraordinary person, has taken a principal stance on all of those issues. Uh, she was person of the year, Time Magazine person of the year back in 2003 for blowing the whistle on the uh, failures of the FBI in terms of stopping 9-11. And she's since been a just a great grassroots, down-to-earth political activist who's nurtured a lot of great people. Um, and what you need is a coming together of, of the left and right, of, you know, people who are being segmented and pigeonholed um, instead of allowing that to happen, to come together and to manifest a real anti-establishment movement, an anti-establishment center. We sort of saw this with the war, a Rage Against the War Machine rally that happened about a year ago, uh, where you had, you know, libertarians and left-wingers coming together, and we need that. Uh, we need that, and we need that to manifest in the electoral process. Otherwise, we're just going to be subjected and uh, our fellow citizens here in the United States are going to be subjected to nonstop propaganda uh, to figure out the differences between Trump and Biden and all of this nonsense for the next year. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I'd like to see that uh, Rage Against the War platform grow and become a bigger tent, as as you're saying, Sammy. I think that's the way forward. We hope that that's the case and you know everybody can pull together uh, in the interests of the country and interests of the world. That's certainly something that would be most welcome through this 2024 election if that is able to grow during this process. It's a great opportunity. The question is, are people willing to seize that opportunity right now? Definitely the window's open for that. I absolutely agree with you on that 100%, Sam. Sam Husseini, independent journalist based in Washington, D.C. Uh, do follow him on Substack. His columns are incredible. Also follow him on X, a Twitter. Uh, just go to, we, we have your Substack on uh, on a display on the Chiron below, but give a, give a shout out to your uh, journalistic venues, Sam, before we go. Sure. The main thing is Husseini.substack.com. That's H-U-S-S-E-I-N-I.substack.com. Thank you so much, Patrick. Thank you for joining us. We're going to take a break right now with TNT, today's news talk. And when we come back, we'll get reactions uh, from this discussion and also breaking updates from the Middle East from our intrepid correspondent, Basil Valentine, on the other side. I'm Patrick Kenningson. Stay right there. We'll be back in a few. When a crisis hits close to home and across the globe, Nonprofits are on the front lines, ready to serve. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. The demand for charitable services has skyrocketed, and nonprofits are rising to meet the needs. Healing. Nurturing. Rescuing. Honoring. Protecting. Caring. Inspiring. The work of philanthropic organizations of all sizes, across all missions, has never been more important. And it's donors and volunteers like you who make all this possible. Thank you. Together, we change the world. The Nonprofit Alliance. 
choose to dance and dream of a better life, a brighter future. Today, thanks to Children International and friends like you, she dances for the world. Together, we give children in poverty a chance to set their sights high and achieve their dreams. Learn more about Children International and join us in our life-changing work at children.org today. With a compelling perspective on global politics, this is The Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back, folks. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Welcome back to this live broadcast. Great discussion with journalist Sam Husseini uh, in the first hour. Fantastic insights from Sam. We hit a couple of big stories there. Uh, the U.S. election cycle, the Yemen impeachment angle, which is extremely interesting, and the International Courts of Justice, uh, the case lodged by South Africa, waiting for an interim decision right now. I want to cut over, however, to our intrepid correspondent, Basil Valentine, joining us on the line right now. Basil, how are you today? Very well, thank you, Patrick. Back in blowy blighty. Um, I came back to a hurricane here in the uh, wonderful United Kingdom, but uh, it's great to be back nevertheless. I'm sure the weather is absolutely stunning uh, in England, as it normally is in January and February. Stunningly gray, stunningly wet, and stunningly cold. Yes, That's right. So uh, anyway, we're not here to talk about the weather. (laughs) No, no, definitely not. No, that's Joe Bastardi's job uh, on on Weather Watch with TNT. Uh, That's not a plug for you, Joe, but why not? Why not? Uh, Basil. (laughs) We're here to talk about the political weather. Yeah, the political. What is the political weather report right now, Basil? I think it's even more stormy than the meteorological weather here Mm. in the UK. It really is absolutely extraordinary i mean uh, what we've got and this is self-evident from social media more than anywhere else is i don't think i've ever known a time where opinion around a particular subject was so polarized and where there was so little common ground as there is over the whole Israel-Palestine situation at the moment. Now, it's worth saying, first of all, uh, on top of that, that the Israel supporters are in a small and diminishing minority. Mm-hmm. The rallies and demonstrations, and there was a, a, a so-called anti-anti-Semitism rally in Manchester at the weekend, uh, attract tiny numbers of supporters. And as Jackie Walker pointed out on the X platform, uh, they are essentially simply pro-Israel rallies. They're nothing to do with uh, hatred of all Jewish people, far from it. Uh, and they what's more, they look like neo-fascist rallies with a combination of Union Jacks and uh, Israeli flags and an altogether sort of rather more uniform appearance to the attendees. Uh, if you look at the pro-ceasefire rallies that there have been innumerable all over the world, particularly in the United Kingdom, first of all, far more numerous, hundreds of thousands of people, and also 
very obviously far more ordinary people, families with babies in strollers, uh, representatives of trade unions, of uh, different interest groups, black and minority ethnic groups, a very large Jewish block at the mm-hmm. ceasefire march, uh, extremely inconvenient for the Israel lobbyists. And uh, against that, you have to set this uh, very narrow harder of opinion sadly propped up by the United Kingdom government uh, Mm. of people who want the carnage to continue. And carnage it is. Absolutely abysmal scenes uh, of uh, limp, crushed bodies being pulled out of the rubble after another massacre in Khan Yunis last night, which was designated one of the so-called safe zones, one of the places the Israelis told people to flee to. And hundreds of people were killed there last night. Now, I'd implore listeners just for a moment to consider what the news cycle would be and what politicians and talking heads would be saying and doing if hundreds of Israelis were being killed every night. We would be blasted from here to kingdom come with the condemnation of their killers, the calls for sanctions, the military intervention to stop this massacre. And yet, instead, we continue to hear not just a deafening silence, but a continuation of the mealy-mouthed endorsement of a genocide. Uh, you really fired up on this, uh, Basil. I can tell a lot of people are fired <laughs> up on this. Well, yeah, no. Well, how how else can you put it? I mean, let's uh, let's let's get beyond uh, polite niceties here. It is a, just a completely out of control situation, and I think the important point is with all that the world has seen, Basil, over the last hundred plus days, uh, it, you're seeing some of the worst casualty numbers in the last week. In terms yes. of death and injury, so it's it the things are not winding down, and that's the shocking part about it. Go ahead. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, and very very little pushback in the UK media. Andrew Fisher, former advisor to Jeremy Corbyn, said uh, on the BBC on Politics Live today, uh, and I quote: "We haven't imposed any sanctions on Israel. There's no arms embargo. We're still shipping arms to Israel. We're saying, oh, what they're doing is wrong. It might well breach international law. But here, have some more weapons to do it. Um, that reference to it might well breach international law refers to the legal advice given to David Cameron, which told him that the that Israel may well be in breach of international law and committing war crimes. But he would not commit himself to that position." position when cross-examined by the uh, uh, the uh, Foreign Affairs Select Committee of the House of Commons. No, that's true. That's true. And and uh, we, we're the backbenchers on this as well. You know, you could always depend on in the past, Basil, you know, you know liberal Democrats, labor, backbench yes. or front bench. Where, where, where is, the, where is yes. the pushback right now? Is it, is it visible? That's right. The lo- not really. The likes of Tam DL, Tony Benn, these sort of people in decades past, principled elder statesmen, men of peace. Instead, you simply have Jeremy Corbyn continuing to be smeared uh, as some sort of uh, anti-Semite or something. Um, uh, in fact, the chief rabbi disgracefully 
uh, in a speech at the the weekend, basically smeared anybody opposed to genocide as an anti-Semite. Now, we could have seen this coming a few years ago. The seeds for this were sown with the political assassination of Jeremy Corbyn and with the entirely specious claim that there was some sort of anti-Semitism crisis in the Labour Party when there was none. And it was an attempt to move the Overton window of the conversation about Israel and its crimes from one where we can legitimately criticise the actions of a nation state to one where that criticism is somehow perceived as an irrational hatred of a particular religion or uh, ethnic group. Um, I'm pleased to say the pushback against him has been considerable. But of course, the the title, Chief Rabbi of England, supposedly a spiritual leader. Uh, this means that uh, uh, he, I think he sort of likes to think of himself as a sort of protected individual who cannot be criticized. Well, it uh, isn't. Is it the same chief rabbi that made the comment that uh, the proceed the proceedings in the international courts of justice by South Africa making a mockery uh, of of the genocide convention i mean that's the position if i'm not mistaken absolutely um and uh, you know similarly for leo varadkar the irish uh, t-shirt came out uh, today because the irish of course have a you know generally the people of ireland having been colonized there's no other word for it by us the english for centuries uh, have a, a much uh, greater, more acute awareness of colonization and what it means. Uh, So uh, the vast majority of Irish people are even more uh, opposed to the current genocide and not represented by their elected officials, although there are some notable exceptions in the Doyle. Um, But he came out and said, how can Israel commit genocide when six million Jews were exterminated in the Second World War? So, uh, you know, that was one of the arguments. That's not a valid argument. That's a complete non sequitur. I mean, um, so here's the the piece that he wrote here. Uh, I think it's published in uh, one of the British dailies. I've got it in front of me. Accusing Israel of genocide is a perverse moral inversion. If there is a genocidal force in this war, it must be Hamas. Incorrect use of the term will harm the cause of peace. Uh, that's a very I mean, convoluted and tenuous argument. I, I will leave. I'm being nice there. It's, in my opinion, ridiculous. But this is uh, so. Why, why has this been given so much media uh, fuel? Basically, it's being platformed everywhere, Basil. Well, the, the whole question of uh, the media coverage of this massacre, um, you know. It's a separate conversation in its own. Owen Jones touched upon it in a a very good article that uh, The Guardian published at the weekend, where basically he sets out the fact that uh, to media and politicians, Palestinian civilian life is worth far less than Israeli civilian life. It's as simple as that. Uh, The language used, the numbers of people killed, so on and so forth. It's very obvious that far more importance is given to Israeli civilian life. And that's an obscene situation. Uh, His uh, comments were endorsed by the Scottish First Minister, Hamza Youssef, who said, uh, speaking to Laura Koonsberg of the BBC at the weekend, that without a shadow of a doubt, people place different lives on the lives of Palestinians and Muslims during a BBC interview. So 
Meanwhile, of course, to reinforce the point, we've got Elon Musk and Ben Shapiro visiting Auschwitz of all places right now, as today. I I, I mean, a really bizarre spectacle when you think about it, because, okay, they're at Auschwitz. Um, Are they there because of what's going on in Gaza at the moment? One would assume so. They're drawing attention to what? They're drawing attention to genocide or they're drawing attention to the persecution of not only Jewish people, but gypsies, disabled people, all sorts of other people who uh, died at Auschwitz. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's not clear what exactly they're supposed to be drawing attention to or why. You know, it's really rather perverse, isn't it? It, 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 you, you sort of beg the question there that it, it's a very public political display that's going on there. It's being photographed, it's being filmed, it's being broadcast around the world. Elon Musk with a very unimpressive uh, individual, a fast talking uh, sort of marginal right wing pundit, Ben Shapiro, uh, claims to be conservative, although it doesn't seem to bear out in his positions and policies, but extremely pro-Israel and ardent Zionist. He's attached himself, stapled himself, super glued himself to Elon Musk in, in the same way that Rabbi Shmuley Botish, who is a big sort of tool for the Israeli lobby in America, and that's not my opinion, that's just everybody knows he's the Al Sharpton of the Israeli lobby in America. He super glued himself to Robert F. Kennedy about nine months ago, and literally you can see the trajectory of RFK on this issue. It's nearly killed his campaign, but the, the musket yes. is interesting. You bring up a good point, Basil, is this is an opportunity. What are they trying to communicate here? The, the, the natural thing would be, hey, look, we're here at Auschwitz. I'm here with my buddy Ben Shapiro uh, and I'm Elon Musk and uh, the genocide shouldn't be allowed to happen in the 21st century. We're here in solidarity with the Jewish community and we're also calling for an end to the genocide in Gaza. Let's just put the issue of genocide behind humanity and move forward together in peace. Wouldn't that be the ultimate winning message Basil, or am yes. I just a little bit too utopian? Well, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Patrick. You know, where are the statesmen, be they in politics or business, culture, influencers, or whatever these days? You know, where is John Lennon when you need him? Where are the men of peace? You're absolutely right. That would be a wonderful statement to make if you were visiting Auschwitz at this time. But it's obvious that that's not what Ben Shapiro has taken Elon Musk, therefore. No, it's 100% political. And I challenge anybody to to say otherwise, because quite obviously it is. And it, it, it is a little bit of a disturbing in the sense that Elon Musk is, uh, you know, there's a lot of accusations of uh, shadow banning and suppression of uh, pro-Palestinian yes. posts on X Twitter, and that there's algorithms at work. People have been posting the analytics of different accounts, showing the comparisons. It seems to be that's the case. Um, it seems to be proven out by the data. Uh, if you go to a great account called Censored Men, a very popular account, by the way, he's done a sort of post on this, a collage of different uh, accounts. Whether you agree with these accounts and their their leanings uh, or otherwise, whether you think they're conspiracy theorists or they're uh, or anti-Semitic or pro-Hamas or whatever, left-wing or whatever, whatever the epithet is, whether you agree with the political positions, it's undeniable 
that the uh, the engagement on these accounts is very high, but the reach and the visibility is very low. And if you compare that to other content on there, uh, there's no comparison. So it's clear there's something going on. And has he got his marching orders? Has Twitter or X got their marching orders from Tel Aviv, from the Israeli lobby on this issue? A lot of people think that that's the case. And I can't blame Thanks. them for thinking that. Basil Valentine, we're going to wrap up that's for the hour, the but thank you. Thank you for joining that's us. What the that's what the meme artists are saying on X this afternoon, Patrick. Uh, Elon Musk being depicted as uh, Netanyahu's pet, shall we say. Send me those on DM. I'll retweet those. Send me those memes. We love memes. Well, we love political well. cartoons. Thank you, Basil Valentine. Top of the hour news headlines coming up. We got a lot on offer in the second hour. Mark Crispin Miller, 2024 elections breaking down, interference, fraud, all these things coming up. <laughs>